Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Today I've prepared for us a clove and cinnamon scented pep talks potpourri as we head into the holidays, or as I call it, the obligation zone. First off, I've plucked some plummy plums from some of the most encouraging moments from all the artist interviews I've done over the last two years. I'm calling these the peppiest of the peps. And secondly, I collaborated with ChatGPT to create a minuscule Shakespearean play based on the podcast tagline. And I added music, voices, and sound effects. It's only four minutes long. It's just a fun lark, and it doesn't totally fit in with the clips, but I'm shoving it in anyway. See you on the flip side. You are listening to Pep Talks for Artists, a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road. I'm your host, Amy Toluda. So I'm pleased to say that I've conducted over 20 artist interviews over the past two years, and they are all my favorite. But once in a while, someone gifts me with a particularly encouraging bonmo. To follow are a little collection of these, all wrapped up in a bow for you to enjoy. First up, I thought I'd start with Elizabeth Weiss, who urges us to not let the current market's tastes discourage and devalue us. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, very demoralizing when you realize uh, the scales fall off your eyes, and you realize yeah. you get a you can you can get a little cynical, and then that could lead to bitterness very easily. I mean, we're probably all fighting off bitterness yeah. every five minutes. All the lives, time. You know? you know, how the world rewards people is very subjective. And hopefully people can remember that using that really devalues them and whatever their dreams are and their pleasures are of, about the creative process, whatever it means. Next, in this clip, Elizabeth Condon tells us why she makes art and who it's for. And anyway, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, what are we doing? We're painting for people who recognize it. Yes. People could be now, they could be later, they could be never, hopefully sometime. But you just, it's the, it's, I guess I'm painting for the handshake. Like the eye shake. I'm painting for the handshake. The you know, eye like, shake. The eyeball yeah. shake. Yeah. Like I want somebody to just say, that's how I feel. Yeah. Just feel like somebody's home. Somebody's home. Agree. E.T. Phone home. <laughs> and Sharon Butler reminds us in this clip that there are multiple paths for an artist's career. And there are benefits to taking the experimental one that anything goes in terms of what we make. You can make anything you want in the studio, but not anything 
captures the imagination, first of all, of the market, and second of all, the imagination of other artists. You know, what's the conversation about? It's a different conversation between artists and, you know, making challenging and experimental work and what the galleries are showing. So what kind of artist do you want to be? You know, because anybody can make, I mean, maybe, you know, if you want to make pleasing paintings. I remember somebody I went to grad school with said she wanted to make pretty pictures and she was kind of laughed out of the program. And I think she, I don't think she returned, but, but, um, that that's one thing. If you want to please the galleries and collectors and have huge hits in your Instagram feed, that's, that's fine. That's a, that's one route, but you can take another route that's more experimental and more challenging. You might not get the likes on Instagram. You might not get the, you know, gallery invitations, but maybe you'll have an interesting conversation with other artists and your peers and, you know, show it sort of smaller spaces and things. So I think that the idea that there's a plurality of approaches is true, but it's not true that anything goes. Coming up, Amelia Olson looks to the support of a rich network of artist friends to weather the ups and downs of an art career advice or like a single piece of advice to a young painter or yourself, you know, your younger self, what would it be if you could pick one one thing to tell them? I think it would be to make friends. I just, I am so grateful for like the art friends that I do have and like the art community I have, whether it's online or in person in your like requisite art city, making friends is like number one. And I don't know. It's just those people will be there for you when things are tough and like they'll challenge you. And, you know, I could also say like experiment and like all those kind of things. But making friends is just, I don't know, number one. (laughs) Yeah, that's like your life raft during the lean years. And when I say the lean years, your whole life might be the lean years. I know, right? (laughs) So it's like you just need that support around you to help you, you know, keep going because it's a hard life. without a lot of positive reinforcement and a lot of rejection. And so you need that community. And I also think like networking gets a bad rap, like networking up is not nice. Right. Networking is just making friends as an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think that's great advice to a younger artist. In this clip, Keisha Prielo Martin gives us permission to be curious take breaks, and have fun in a world where productivity and capitalism are king. Just do something other than painting. I don't mean like not make art. I just mean like give more days off where you can live life and and like, I don't know, go on a trip, go to the beach. I feel like my younger self didn't want like was too afraid to not be productive that I didn't know always what to paint about because I wasn't doing anything. So telling younger artists that going out and doing other stuff is kind of productive. Next, Katherine Haggerty draws the parallel between an artist and an athlete because she says we're all players in the game of art. So 
You know, I think that the way that I've navigated almost everything in my life is through the lens of like the framework of athletics. And so what that means is like, you know, that you have like a, a goal and then you just understand that there's a certain level of commitment to get really good at something. And so being a really scrawny, like five, six shooting guard, uh, playing against sometimes shooting guards that might be like 5'9 or 5'10 and just much bigger than me. I always just knew I had to compensate with like either court intelligence or work ethic or leadership and the combination of all of that. So I think my whole life has been filtered through the lens of what it means to just work really, really hard. And so athletics gave me that. But I think there's actually a lot of similarities in terms of understanding space and understanding form and, uh, you know, the psychological fortitude it takes to like run a marathon or to get through workouts, knowing that, you know, also to be a good teammate, to, to know that like, you're not always going to be the person that scores a bunch of points, but if you and your friends, you know, your team win, that's great. And so thinking about this idea of, yeah, how to support other people and, 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 and use leadership if possible, um, no, it's just, it's just not always about you. You know, it's just like about a, a greater kind of conversation. So, I mean, those are some, some pretty simple things, but things that help me continue to feel like I'm a player in the game of art, even if sometimes I'm more quiet or more prolific and that it's, it's truly like the cheesiest thing, but it's just a marathon. It's just not about one show or one game. It's just about this kind of beautiful process you get to be on if you're lucky. And since two Catherine quotes are always better than one, here's one more that I loved about how to think of every type of feedback, good or bad, as, quote, just information. I think you're right. Like keeping studio visits, especially big studio visits, in perspective, you know, knowing that they're great, but not pinning every hope of your whole life on it would no, cut back some no. of the pressure. And, and I mean, I, I would say that for anything, even if you finally get a show or you finally get the thing you wanted. I've just been thinking about this more and more. It's never the big, like it's never going to make you. It's not, mm -hmm. that's not how it works. It sounds so cheesy, but it's really all about the things that get you to, to, to do the work. But it's, there are big opportunities. There are good visits, but it's never the thing. And I think when you when you avoid thinking about it that way, yeah. you have a better relationship with, it's just information. It's information for me. It's a good visit. It's information on how I should show my work better. And I, that sounds so scientific, but information is better because it's not a value judgment. It's just information. Mm -hmm. It's learning as opposed to, I had the best show, everyone saw it, but nothing sold. Well, it's just, it's just information that the market's down and no one's yeah, down yeah, that's the information like, you receive at the market is that's down. it. It's yeah. like, whatever. And it's not about most of life really isn't about you, but the things you can control are being kind and generous to your host or to your guest and being a good host and being on time and offering them water for sure. And yeah. maybe even a light snack. That's nice. And next we have the inimitable Judy Glantzman who tells us that the most sustainable thing in an artist's life is the pleasure of making. The, the problem is, is the other thing that you were saying earlier. In other words, I start to have a unknown viewer who doesn't exist in the world, who is looking at the paintings at the same time I am. So instead of saying, you know, like if I'm looking at you, I'm, I'm starting to think to myself, am I stupid? Does this sound like a dumb thing to say as I'm trying to say another idea? And I think that, um, 
one, I've always thought that the pleasure of making things is one of the sustainable things that pushes away those kind of feelings. And probably it's really insecurity. You know what I mean? Like, and I imagine that we all have it in some ways, which is basically like when I'm here in the studio sometimes, these are the greatest things that are, thank God I'm making these things, they're, they're the gift to, and then when you put them out in the world, you realize like they're <laughs> the things, like there's lots of other things and, and they're not. <laughs> and so when it's your world, you know, I, I love that feeling of being in the world, but I think that I don't want them to be um, muted. I, I don't need to keep them here. So, but I think, I think that the market is just so, being up here makes me realize that for me, the market is not a helpful thing. No, it has nothing yeah. to do with what I'm doing. And, it, and it's really like, now I think like, it's like the equivalent of evangelical church is the equivalent of a spirituality. In other words, they're just like, basically, they might use the same words, but they're almost at the other ends of things. I, I used to think of it as a problem, but I think it isn't so much a problem to me now. I think it's just a part of the, um, I think the part of my job, like I'm very lucky to have Betty and have Betty support the work. So that's nice to have a place that if I want to show it, I can, but, but it's very separated from my work, my work in here. And now one of my favorite inspiring moments was when Ever Baldwin drew a comparison between bravery in the studio and the fierceness of drag performers. And you know how I love a metaphor. The culture of drag and the culture of ballroom are so much about people who have maybe like been marginalized and struggled in their lives, but like really embracing what makes them weird and what makes them unique. And I feel like for me, that's what art has always been, just sort of a place where you can dive really deep into the things that are supposed to kind of be wrong with you. And then transform that into something beautiful. Like that is the highest form of art to me. And watching performers on Legendary or RuPaul's Drag Race come across obstacles and just like always be fierce enough to keep going mm -hmm. and keep performing mm -hmm. and doing their best. It's so inspiring for a studio practice. I think there are like so many parallels there. You know, I teach teenagers and that's how I really like to approach teaching too, is like to try to show people that, you know, in the studio, you can be whoever you want. It's like really the only place I've found like that where you yeah. can truly just like be yourself. <laughs> and even that's hard, you know, sometimes you have that kind of feeling like you can't or you shouldn't. Yeah. But you have to keep that out of the studio. And that's what they do. Like these performers keep those voices out. And so that is something to cultivate for sure. And now in the spirit of celebrating Crafters Crafton, here's Sherry Mendelson and me having a Michael's etiquette debate. It's crystal clear glue sticks. And I just like that particular brand. And once <laughs> I was buying like 10, you know, packs of it and the woman said at the checkout said someone's gonna be doing lots of crafting <laughs> I know I'm often like in Michael's like just clearing off shelves like just taking everything and I'm like oh sorry next person I hope you didn't need any Sculpey today <laughs> you know sometimes you gotta be um all for yourself well 
I left. I think I left some on the shelf for the next person. Oh, see, you're nicer than me. I was just like, oh, five left. Okay, I'm taking all five. <laughs> Fan favorite Jennifer Coates gives this iconic soundbite about studio perseverance. It's a good one. And speaking of bravery, I'd love for you to talk more about your be the hero motto. Oh, yeah. This is something that my husband, David, and I, David Humphrey, the brilliant painter, I can see his little icon bubble (laughs) right now. This is something we say to each other all the time because sometimes we're just like, ugh, you know, we love going to the studio. We're super grateful and happy that we get to go to the studio as much as we do. But there are some days where it's just like, no one cares what I do. (laughs) I don't know what I have coming up. Like, I don't know why I'm doing this at all. And then just say, be a hero, honey. Just get right back in there. doesn't matter you're doing it, it doesn't matter if anyone cares or if no one wants to ever see your work again, you're going to be a hero and you're going to get in there and you're going to keep working. That's our mini pep talk that we give each other. That's a really great pep talk. Be the hero. <laughs> be the hero. That's right. Be a hero. Yeah. Because like, you know, you're like Bruce Willis in Die Hard and <laughs> you have to be the hero. You don't know if you jump through that plate glass window, if you're going to land. Right. But you just got to jump. Or maybe you're clinging to an empty elevator shaft and and the elevator's coming down. You don't know if you're going to make it, but you got to be the hero. You got to be the the hero. Got to try. Um, Die Hard was recently on in my house. That's why I have all those very fresh references. (laughs) I haven't seen that in a very long time. It's weirdly a Christmas movie. Coming up, I couldn't leave off Elizabeth Condon's discussion with me about art as a living thing. Like, essentially, at the end of the day, what you really hope to express is yourself. Not you as a constructed identity, but you as a kind of spirit. Right. Like to convey that sense of life that you that lives within you mm-hmm. into the spirit of the painting. And so how do you do that? And that's the diversity of process. But that's also magical. I, I once saw this uh, TikTok self-appointed art guru saying that people buy art because of the person behind it, the personality of the, the artist not because of the object, that the object was just residue, but I just agreed so so much. I do firmly believe that the objects we create have souls in them and that they are living beings that go out into the world when they really work, obviously not every attempt, but that they have the power to almost hold a little bit of us in them. And I don't think of them as just a husk or something that stands in for you as a person walking around in the world. Oh, I absolutely agree. And it's an excellent clarification. And I remember, you know, Elizabeth Murray said it really well in a video databank interview from 19, I don't know when, 84, let's say. (laughs) Um, But she said something like, because she was from Chicago and the video databank is in Chicago. And and she said, when I look at a Cezanne, I feel like somebody's home. Yeah. You know, like you, like there's a consciousness in the painting. You can follow the movement of the consciousness. And I feel that with Birchfield and I feel it in Chinese painting and I would want nothing less for myself. Also a repeat addition, Judy Glansman gave another wonderful quote in her interview about seeking surprise in one's work. You know from experience that if you just allow yourself to repeat and repeat and repeat, you'll get to something unexpected and surprising. And that's sort of a, a process that you use to get to that meaning, that nugget of meaning. And also the idea of the thing being surprising. 
it's something that I think as an artist you have to get used to. It's not like I'm totally shocked that this, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but the idea of looking or wanting to have that surprise, I think that's something that you have to almost train yourself to be comfortable with because it's a very uncomfortable kind of a feeling. And three times the charm, Elizabeth Condon is back again with an insightful way of thinking about truth in painting. I mean, there's just the basic idea that when you start into a painting, you just move into, you lose your ground. You know, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. Like I took the what do you call like a windshield wiper or something and started moving the paint around. Like I was like, what am I doing? I'm post knowledge. Yeah. And I'm you, post I'm post knowing what to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> and so I suppose in a way that painting is that also it's an alternative truth where you're moving according to a dictate you don't even know. Yes. Next up, a clip by Paula Wilson about collage, randomness, and the power of the pile. It almost feels like the universe lives in the pile and it <sighs> gives you a gift once in a while and it's just like spits it out and you're just like, oh, okay, thanks. And then it's glued down and it's art. Like that's what the magic <sighs> of the pile is to me. Oh, you're so right on. I could not agree more. <laughs> I, I think there should be a, an exhibition of piles or artists <laughs> who work from piles. I, I would go to um, that. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's like, that's what's exciting, right? Is that here you have these this thing that you made that you thought was going to be this masterpiece, but instead it ends up in this pile. Mm -hmm. And then it's next to something else. And they're like, oh, these things belong to mm -hmm. each other here together. Here they are. Uh, and that, that kind of coming together and that surprise again is, is so gratifying and is feels a little bit more true to life than this trajectory mm -hmm. from a blank canvas to, you know, a finished state of being. And now choreographer Julia Gleick asks, does art need to have a single pin down message or can it hold complexity and mystery? I think for myself, I, I often ponder, you know, what do I have to say? Do I really have anything to say? You know, people talk about making work and you have to have something to say. And sometimes I envy visual artists for the, the, the process of repeating something yeah. over and over again, being able to put it all over the walls. Just riff on something, one thing. Yeah, yeah. in dance, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I can do that in the same way. I mean, am I watching a bunch of videos all at the same time of work that I've made? I, and uh, and I, I wonder if sometimes that puts you in a place where what you have to say is your own reaction to the things that you're making. Mm-hmm. And when I approach making work, I, I guess I have to get far enough in so that I can kind of be in that place a little bit too. Yeah, and it's not a left brain thing. I mean, it, it's hard to just, you know, it, it's like a poem or something. You, you can't just boil it down into, this is my message. You know, the fact that you're just saying something is enough. <laughs> like, just say something. <laughs> Well, Put something I, out there, like in, contribute to the culture. <laughs> well, if you can say this is my message, uh, you know, I used to always tell my students this. I sound like such an old fart. Then why are you making a dance? I know. If it's that easy for you to deliver a singular sort of message about something, then it doesn't require a dance. A dance is a different experience. And next, 
I wanted to include Judy Glantzman's excellent list of artist block blockers for current and future generations of artists to take solace from. And P.S. Don't forget that Judy is available if you're interested in some help in the studio. If you need a mentor or someone to bounce ideas off, she's always looking for new online students. Contact information is in the show notes. But um, you always have the most amazing painting, like, ideas and philosophies, especially how to conquer when you feel blocked, when that brick wall is down in your face. And I have taken it upon myself to write pithy titles for all your very nuanced and complex ideas. Oh, I can't (laughs) wait. This is great. This is what I need. I think I've already sent it to you, but this is what I call your artist block blockers. So not your beta blockers, but your artist block blockers. Um, the seed where like you take a work that you made and it's not a final product, but that actually it's a constellation of seeds and each seed from every area of that work could spawn a whole nother plant that would also be a constellation of seeds so that you're almost trying to make something that will be able to be spooled out in a million iterations if you wanted you could take the bottom right corner and make a whole body of work about that you could take the middle and make a whole body of work about that and every piece in that body of work would also have a middle that you could spool out and spool out and spool out so it's sort of this infinite generative process working with the seed that's number one and my pithy title is seed theory like string theory but seeds (laughs) and then Another one is make a garbage painting or make a doodle painting where you don't think about it ever being seen or you have no plan and you just go in there doodling, which is a very liberating concept for me as somebody who was a planner to just have a blank canvas and here we go. We're just going to put whatever we want over and over over the course of the week. You can't be blocked through that. Like if that's just a complete exit door you know there's no way you could stay blocked that's a little rabbit hole under the wall if you know that you have the power to doodle doodle your way out um another one is uh, we talked about this bravery lives in the living room and if your spouse or your partner's annoyed put it all in a basket (laughs) you know yeah you take over the coffee table uh they're annoyed they can't put their coffee down guess what you swish it in a basket boom they're happy you're happy invest in a basket. Everybody can be brave in the living room still. Put on the TV, make it the least precious environment possible. Um, Also, another concept is the nosy next door neighbor, which is your idea that if you have a piece in your studio or your home, whatever's next to it could bleed in. You know, it could be peering in, it could be looking in. Nothing's just its own little island. It's all connected. And then one is be a bad art student, but I'm not 100% sure. Like for me, it's like, let things have tangency, let things not be perfectly composed. That's kind of how I interpret it, but you may amend it a different way. (laughs) And then another one I wrote is silly geese wear paper crowns, (laughs) which is when you you said that you told your students to make paper crowns when they worked. 
so that they don't feel like they're sitting there with their briefcase and their blazer off to have an art career. <laughs> um, they are silly geese, in fact. They are childlike and full of play and they wear paper crowns and I think that's a good mindset. And then I tried to wear a paper crown, but it was uncomfortable. So I just have it propped on my paintbrushes. And then the last one, which I just think about you in general, is if you think it, you have to make it. And so those are my pithy titles for your artist block blockers. Did I get anything wrong? No, those are great. Those are fantastic. <laughs> okay, so that, that was just what I wanted to share with the listener in case that helps them also. I just want to say one other thing that I, you could make a pithy title for. Oh, please. But I, I don't know the title. You get the Let me get my part. pen ready. Okay, I'm ready. Well, it's the idea between structure and intuition. And so the way that you're, like you said, you know, you take a part of it and you could bring it through your filter. And that's really, essentially, it's all that there is. But in separating these two groups, the thing that you can do is when you look at that painting that you're going to, you know, take seeds from, that you took an aspect of it, and then you then you do the thing to it, which I'm going to call, um, these are nameable things. In other words, do I make it bigger? Do I make it smaller? Do I make it turn around? In other words, the filter that you're going through are things that are nameable, very simple kind of things. What you're going to see, so, so now you have that seed and iterated in different contexts or in different ways. And even like we talked about, like you could look at that seed at nighttime and you could look at it at daytime. And so those are very clear things that you could hear. And, and somehow in the then necessary invention to do that is the kind of meat of the stuff, the intuition stuff. So that if you can separate out the structure from an intuition, it's more easy to see. The more categories you put into things, the more easy it is to sort of see them in, in, in relationship to each other. Next up, Sarah Grass reminds us to nurture our curiosity and sense of play in our studios. Because I think part of a healthy art practice is to be in a solid partnership with your inner child, which mm -hmm. is, and now it's sort of popular psychology as well as young, but the inner child is basically the part of us that remains young and, mm -hmm. you know, in a state of wonder, um, seeing yeah. everything for the first time and and as artists, we get a lot of opportunity, thank God, to do that, to mm -hmm. like see things anew and recreate and regenerate ideas. So, um, But even so, I think sometimes it's harder, at least for me, once you've been doing something for a while, it's so easy to just keep going and forget to go back to that beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's it can still happen to an artist a little bit. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> but I think that that is like this relationship that we need is to say, if I am in my studio and I do something and I hate it, I could yell at the child. I could be like, what were you doing? Why did you, <laughs> why would you use blue right there? I don't know. I don't know what I get mad at. Usually it's not, it'll never be blue. I love blue. But you'd but be like, no wire like, hangers or something like yeah. that, except it would be like, you, you knocked know, over the no ceramic. sable brushes. <laughs> How dare you spill that? But like a lot of it, we don't think about it, but we're scolding this like inquisitive, curious part of ourselves that maybe just wanted to see what that mark would look like. Mm -hmm. And and no, it didn't work according to what? According to whatever we're thinking would be better, um, our expectation. But I think it's important to have that partnership with our inner child as, as well as with others. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And now, coming up, Natalie Bell shares a word of encouragement to artist parents trying to get work done around young children. 
but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it happens during, I don't know what I would do without school. And uh, for if anyone's listening who has like the really young kids, like that was, that was, that was the really hardest, worst times <laughs> just having a, a baby and a toddler where, you know, he wasn't in school full time. I think he was like, did half days for a little oh, while. Oh, I know the tease. Let's, let's ease him in. Ugh. And, and um, you know, I think there was a part-time, we had a part-time nanny for a time when he was a baby, but it's, it's all really hard, but it, yeah, it's getting easier. And it has gotten a lot easier in terms of like, I'm less sleep deprived now. My child's more predictable than they used to be. And so like just things like that help with like the, kind of the mental health aspect of, of yeah. parenting. But the other day he was in my studio because my studio happens to also be where there's a lot of random stuff that he wants for like craft, Delightful. craft projects. Delightful things. So we need colored felt. Let's go to let's go to mama's studio. I want to sew something. Let's go to mama's studio. But he was like sitting in my studio and he was like, I'm really proud of you. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, you know, he said he was proud of me for making art. And I was just like, I wanted to cry. It's just like, you see me, child. You see me. And for your listening pleasure, a classic clip. The clip heard round the world. Because Portia Munson reminds us to make it up. Speaking of pep talks, I just wanted to ask if you had to give one piece of advice, either to your younger self or to a younger artist, um, what would it be if, if you could, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you had something off the top of your head. I have, I know what it is. I kind of, I pretty much always give the same bit of advice. So what I like to say is the world that we're li- living in right now, it's all made up. Like every everything about our world is um i mean except for the fact that like the sun rises and the moon rises and you know those kind of natural things but all the human stuff is all very much made up it's very much made up like the that we drive in cars on roads we live in you know square houses and all these different things are all like um made up and so what i like to say is uh make it up (laughs) like make up your world make it better make it more interesting um make it different in a better way you know just like be be an you know just be an artist in every sense and and make up your world you know don't just don't just um stick to the given and finally last but not least Sharon Butler highlights the hidden advantages of doing it all wrong. And it's the same with children's drawings, too. I mean, you know, the first time that you when you have a child who, you know, takes to drawing or whatever, and the way they do things is so fascinating. Yeah. And I I mean, when my daughter was small, I used to volunteer at her um, art class because I just loved seeing how the students worked. And I just always thought to myself, you know, if they had better materials, this stuff would be great. I know. But, I feel the you same. Know, they get the shitty paper and the they you know, do. waxy crayons and stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, so so by looking at work by, by people who, you know, quote, don't know any better, unquote, you see some really interesting choices. And... Uh, and I started to think about, instead of thinking they're doing it wrong, I started to think about those things as 
meaningful you know like the idea that you, you you know if you make a composition that you know is wrong that has its own meaning and i was very interested in um you know failure and imperfection and also the notion of um you know starting something but not finishing it and you know so so often when you um talk to people about paintings they'll say well i felt it was unresolved and it's like well maybe unresolved is an important thing to think about maybe things aren't always resolved you know but it's that it, but it's very it's a challenge to try to you know make things that are about being unresolved or being making paintings about irresolution without them seeming unresolved if you know what i mean yes i know exactly what you mean So that concludes the peppiest of the peps portion of the episode. And now we come to the second act. For your listening pleasure, I have created a mini play, Shakespearean inspired. By plugging in the podcast tagline, shuffling along the artist's road, to ChatGPT's AI interface. So it came out a bit as expected, very short, a little funny, a little hollow maybe, but also profound in a clunky computery way. And because I couldn't resist doing the most, I scored it, added sound effects, and even deep faked the voices. And don't worry, it's only about three to four minutes long. So I hope you'll stick around and listen. Without further ado, please enjoy ChatGPT and my digital collaborative concoction. Now for the Shakespearean play, A Shuffle of Fate, AI generated in five acts. The curtain lifts on the old Globe Theater and the candelabras flicker as the play begins. Act One. Enter Lucia, a painter, and Aurelius, a sculptor, shuffling down the artist's road. Hark, Aurelius! The canvas awaits our strokes as dawn unveils the tapestry of morn. Lucia, fair painter of dreams untold, the chisel and marble sing a tale of old. They continue down the road, exchanging artistic musings. Act two. At the crossroads of creativity, they encounter an old bard. Ah, painters and sculptors, brethren of art, what masterpiece doth thine hands impart? A canvas adorned with hues of the sky, a tale of passion, love, and woe nearby. A sculpture emerging from stone's embrace, a dance of form and grace, in time and space. 
Act Three. As they reach a marketplace, they meet a mysterious artisan. Hail, kindred spirits, creators profound. In the marketplace where wonders abound. What secrets, artisan, lie in thy hands? A potion of inspiration from distant lands? Nay, tis not a potion, but a mirror rare, reflecting the soul, unveiling truth laid bare. Act Four. The artists, inspired, return to their workspaces. Upon my easel, dreams unfurling wide, a symphony of colors, joy and pride. In stone's embrace, my chisel whispers tales of strength and beauty, where each stroke prevails. They unveil their masterpieces in a grand gallery. Ah, painters and sculptors, brethren of art, what masterpiece doth thine hands impart? In each stroke, a journey, a story unfolds. Two artists bound by art, their legacy holds. As the curtain falls, the artists bask in the applause, knowing their journey, shuffling down the artist's road, was a masterpiece in itself. You've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists, I'm your host, Amy Toludo, and I want to thank you heartily, me hearties, for listening. I've got a bunch of fantastic episodes on deck already for 2024, and I hope you'll stick around and continue to follow the show in the new year. Coming up, the pod will welcome Mandolin Wilson-Rosen back to discuss Book Talks, Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way. That's right, The Juggernaut. Also, artists Jesse Bransford and Frederick Hayes will visit for artist interviews. And there will even be a New Year's episode dedicated to my personal resolution to become more monstrous. Okay, that's it for now. In the meantime, find Peps on Instagram at Pep Talks for Artists and on Patreon at patreon.com slash peptalksforartists where you can join the beloved Pep Talks peerage and get secret mini-eps and early access to regular shows. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'll see you next time.
We know what we are, but know not what we may be. William Shakespeare